Hey everyone, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals. Before we get into tonight's episode, I just want to take some time to share some really exciting news we have going on. If you haven't noticed already, my voice actually sounds a lot more clear, and that's because I'm not going to be recording with my cell phone anymore. I'm actually going to be recording on a studio-grade microphone with studio-grade equipment to create a more pleasurable, entertaining experience for you guys. And along those lines, I'm actually going to be extending the show a little bit by engaging our guests more so you guys get more out of it. And as always, if you've had an encounter with a ghost, alien, UFOs, Bigfoot, or government conspiracy, anything out of the ordinary, get a hold of me. My email is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. And without any further delay, let's get to tonight's show. Till it's bright out Oh, just another lonely night Are you willing to sacrifice your life? They're staying in the shadows It's called probing Make sure things are all clear for for the rest of the night. You guys hear that? He's out there. Stan Gordon is one of the United States' leading researchers of the stranger side of the Bigfoot phenomenon. And it doesn't come much stranger than a case Gordon investigated in late 1973 in his home state of Pennsylvania. It's important to note that this case was one of dozens that Gordon received from 1972 to 1974, which collectively suggested the presence of unknown hairy man-beasts all across Pennsylvania. Many of these cases, however, were dominated by phenomena that, for many Bigfoot investigators, fell far outside what one could call the norm, including an event that occurred in Fayette County in October 1973. It was the dark night of October 25th when all hell broke loose in the heart of the county. The primary player in the story was Steve Palmer, who was both amazed and frightened to see a brightly illuminated UFO hovering over local farmland around 9 o'clock p.m. But that wasn't all that Palmer encountered. A pair of immense, ape-like animals with very long and muscular arms surfaced out of the shadows of the dark field and proceeded to walk straight towards Palmer. He wasted no time and blasted them with a salvo of bullets. Very weirdly, the bullets appeared to have no effect at all on either creature, and they retreated into the darkness. The UFO did likewise, vanishing in an instant. That was not the end of the affair, however. Approximately four hours later, things took on even stranger and far more terrifying proportions. It was roughly 1 o'clock a.m. when Gordon arrived on the scene, having been alerted to the Palmer encounter by local police, who had been apprised of the facts. Along with Gordon were fellow investigators Dennis Smeltzer, Fred Pitt, David Smith, and George Lutz. 
They met with Palmer, who proceeded to tell them of his unearthly encounter with the two Bigfoot creatures and the UFO. Then, quite out of the blue, something horrifying occurred. Palmer's breathing changed rapidly, to the extent that he was literally panting heavily and deeply, and he broke into a deep, guttural howl and knocked both his own father and Lutz to the field floor. And that was only the start of things. Pitt found himself unable to breathe properly. Smelter felt faint, and Palmer fell to the ground, having apparently passed out. A powerful, rotten odor of brimstone suddenly dominated the cold night air. The terrified group knew that it was vital they get out of the field, and quickly, too, before things got worse. Later, when Palmer regained consciousness, he told Gordon and his team that he, Palmer, while in his passed-out state, has seen before him a sickle-carrying, dark-robed figure that warned him the human race was on the verge of destroying itself, and would do exactly that unless it curbed its violent instincts. Even stranger than that, a couple of weeks later, two Air Force officers, one in uniform and the other in plain clothes, visited Palmer at his home. It quickly became clear that the pair knew all about Palmer's weird encounter and the later experience. They even confided in him that they knew that both the UFO and the Sasquatches were genuine. There was a specific reason for the visit. First, they showed Palmer a number of photos of Bigfoot creatures and wanted to know if the beast he encountered resembled them. Second, they asked if Palmer would be willing to be placed into a hypnotic state to ensure that the military secured all the relevant data. Palmer agreed. And with all the information in hand, the two men got up, thanked Palmer, and left. Despite telling Palmer that they would keep him informed of any future developments, they failed to do so. He never saw them again. It was a fitting end to a case steeped in mystery. Okay, that was the Fayette County, Pennsylvania Bigfoot out of the Bigfoot book written by Nick Redfern. I love that story. It's not because of the weirdness when it comes to Bigfoot and UFOs. It's actually because of the government officials that show up to this guy's house and interview him for more information. They actually hypnotize the guy to get the most information out of him as possible. And then they just leave and they never come back. They never give him updates. Nothing. It reminds me of all the stories that I hear of these government officials showing up to sites that people have seen Bigfoot. They interview witnesses and pretty much tell them to keep their mouths shut. They're not allowed to talk about it or else bad things could happen to them. How many times have we heard that before? Anyways, I think it's a great story and I thought you guys would like it too, so I figured I'd share it with you. Okay, so tonight's guest is Tom. Tom is a farmer out in western Pennsylvania. He owns two different farms, actually, that have been passed down in his family throughout the generations. Throughout Tom's entire life, he's never even thought about Bigfoot. And that all changed in August of 2016 when he saw his first Bigfoot. A few months later, he was actually in his tree stand hunting and he saw a second one. So in this few months period of time, Tom's life has totally been flipped upside down. Tom wants to come on tonight and share his story about what he's seen and how he's coping with this new reality that he's dealing with. So let's bring on Tom and hear what he has to say. Hey, Tom, how are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, it's been a long day, but uh, I'm glad to be here at home talking to you about this stuff. Uh, you had some pretty interesting uh, things going on in western Pennsylvania. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to say the least, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, from what I understand, you have seen uh, Sasquatch on two different occasions. Is that right? Yes. 
yes. A uh, very large male and a, and a female. Okay. Uh, well, why don't you uh, start from the beginning and uh, let us know how this all developed. Sure. Well, I guess it started, um, I would say, late August, um, before our early season archery. I uh, was on our property setting up a ground blind, and I was doing some hammering to hang up burlap camo, and I and I thought I heard some, some hammering back. I didn't really think too much of it, so I kept going. And then I heard something walking really heavy, but what struck me, it's funny, is it was coming through an area that is so super thick with, like, monophora rows and, and grapevines and pretty tough for a human to get through. And, and it has a lot of old strip mines in it, so it's kind of like a knoll there where you can't see. But I kept working, kept working, and I started hearing a growl. And at first it wasn't didn't really strike me, but the more I ignored it, the more menacing it became. And it was almost like from the chest, a, and I started getting a little concerned. Well, about five minutes later, it became so deep and menacing that I had no choice but to flee because it, it almost seemed like I was going to be attacked at any time. Um, so I took off. I told my dad, my dad kind of him hard about it. So three days later I went back to hunt Well, the same thing happened, except this time when I fled, it fled with me like it was chasing, but it wasn't behind me. It was kind of like off to the side of me. And every time its feet hit the ground, it was almost like I could feel it vibrating in my body. Well, when I got back to the truck, I turned around and I looked. And in between, it's like a tree line, an opening on my side, trees on its side. In between two nice-sized trees and a bunch of saplings is where he stood. And this is where I hesitate to say because it, it, when I hear myself say it, it sounds crazy. But I'm going to estimate eight and a half, nine feet tall, standing between two trees, rocking side to side. And I can see pretty much its whole body, its whole head. But it was dark. It was getting dark at the time. And it was a real dark, matted-type fur that I seen. So that was my encounter with the male. Um my whole entire family has had encounters with him. I just found out recently. Uh, my stepmom's been shuffled out of the woods quickly. My brother-in-law, you know, um, and it's always that. And, and it just reverberates through your entire body. Now, the second encounter that I had was with the female. And this was in deer season this year. Uh, December 3rd. And I was on the other farm, and it's a big strip mine with um, Spanish olive growing on all sides of it. And I was on top of the gas line, and I heard, like, some rustling, bustling, and she came down out of the woods, and she kept looking back like something was chasing her. I, I don't know if hunters jumped her or what, but as she stepped out onto the gas line, I turned my scope up on 12. I know she looked directly at me, but I never seen her face. All I could focus on were two breasts inside. Well, I don't want to say it was like sparse fur, but it was like thinner 
around the chest area, but they were clearly two breasts independently moving from, from the other, you know, it wasn't like a uniform movement and she was booking, but the way she ran was kind of funny because she ran kind of like forward to get ready to go up this hill. It almost looked like if she dug her hands into the ground, she could thrust and, and be on all fours at any second. Well, the other she went into was so, so thick. I would never be able to follow her, you know? So that's my encounter with her. I went back a week later, actually four days later to hunt again. And right at daybreak, I heard, and that was it. And I almost think it was kind of like, we know you're there. You know, like kind of like an acknowledgement uh, to me, you know. Now, ever since then, it's just been crazy for me because um, I want to know, I want to find out, you know. I, I'm, I have so many more questions than answers. I have no answers <laughs> to any of the questions, you know. Um, it's just been crazy, you know. So let me ask you, you said on December 3rd is when you saw the female, correct? Yes, yes. Now, you saw the male before that. Do you remember the date that you saw that? You know, um, our early season archery starts, if I'm not mistaken, it starts September 1st. So this would be the last week of August that, that I saw him. Okay, so, uh, and this these both took place in 2016, right? Yes, yes. Was the growling that you heard... Is that something that uh, you've encountered before? Because uh, you, you say that um, when you heard the growling at first, you didn't think much of it. Why, why was that? Is this something that you've heard before out there and you just, it's something that you're used to? No, you know, that's the funny thing. Um, I'm 45 years old. I've hunted all over Pennsylvania, West Virginia. I've never heard anything that even comes distinctly close to what I heard that day. And, you know, I'm not even really sure why I blew it off. I just, at first it didn't seem like it was a threat, you know? Um, at first it was, it was a growl, but it was calm. And I didn't really get alarmed until I would say five or six minutes into the growling when it really started to get that verberation and that, that menacing sound to it. Like I am ready to pounce, you know, um, I can jump at any time. Gotcha. You said that the male was eight and a half to nine feet tall, or was that the female? No, that was the male. Okay. The, the, the female, when you saw her, is that an area that you could easily access, or did you try to go back at all to see maybe how tall she was, how big she was? Um, no, I didn't go back to really see how tall she was. I actually went to check and see how tall he was, and they had cleared some of the trees out of there by that time. But I basically used an estimate on how tall she was, and I was guessing her to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like seven, um, maybe a little bit bigger. And just because of what I've seen with him, I'm kind of in my mind compared to two of them. Gotcha. Now, before this encounter, what was your experience with Bigfoot? You know what? I have had zero. <laughs> Other than when I was a kid, I've seen Leonard Nimoy on TV with the uh, Himalaya Bigfoot tracks in the snow. Um, 
but there had been a lot of crazy things happening around our farm before that. And subsequently after this, there's been a ton of stuff going on with my whole entire family and the neighbors with these same two Bigfoot. Like there's just every single day it's something new coming up, but they're really a hesitant to, to talk about it, you know, for the same reason, I guess everybody is, is in ridicule and, you know, right. Uh, now, I, you don't have to answer this if uh, you feel like it's not your place. Uh, you said the family has known about the Bigfoot activity and stuff. Is there anything that you could share as to what they've experienced? Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't. I won't put any names there. But um, the neighbors have bee boxes. They sell honey, and all the bee boxes were torn apart, and they weren't torn apart with claws and teeth. They were pulled apart by hand. And the reason I know that is because in the honeycomb, there were big hand swipes where it looked like he was taking scoops of comb out of there and eating it like straight out of the hive. And all the boxes, all 11 boxes were destroyed. But like I said, it wasn't like a black bear that would chew on it or use his claws to pull it apart. These were all taken, the, the slides were taken straight out of the top. Another incident that they have is the neighbor lady she was awoke about three o'clock in the morning. Something walked past her trailer, her bedroom window in her trailer. And it's approximately like seven to eight foot tall window off the ground. And she said it was that same exact sound that I, that I told them about. Now, my brother-in-law heard the same exact sound come out of an old pump station house where they had a gas well. And it chased them away also. So... Even my dad reported being chased out of the woods, and he's six foot four, 250 pounds, and he's a second-degree black belt. He was picking berries, and that growling, guttural caused him to book. He said the berries weren't worth it. So, like, things have been really going on since August, and it seems to be going on on a weekly or a daily basis. It just depends on who's out there. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, when when you went to your, I mean, I'm assuming you went to your family and told them your experience. Uh, were they hesitant to uh, come forward to even tell you what they've experienced after you told them your experience? Because I know a lot of people out there have had experiences, but they're scared to talk about it because they're afraid to sound like a kook. And I, maybe you could share how you went about breaking this news to your relatives and friends to actually bring up the conversation. Well, they know that I'm a predator hunter, that I, I hunt coyotes and fox. And I told my dad, we were sitting at the, at the Christmas table, as a matter of fact, and the whole family was there. And uh, I said, you know, I've, I, I, I heard some stuff down in the woods again. And it was the same thing I told you about before. And they all started laughing. And I said, well, what are you laughing about? And that's when they started telling me about my brother-in-law, my dad, my stepmom. And uh, I said, well, what do you guys think it is? Well, what do you think it is? I said, me personally, I think it's Bigfoot. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. But my little, my brother-in-law pulls me to the side and he's like, I've seen something down there. I don't want to say anything to anybody about it. Don't tell your dad. But I think it's Bigfoot also. He said, as a matter of fact, I know it is. So he's seen, but won't really come forth worth and tell me what he's seen. And my dad, my dad is one of those people that 
he won't say a word because he's so afraid to be ridiculed in in public, you know? Right. I think that's a common thing. I, I, I've heard that a lot from people. Uh, but so your brother-in-law told you that not only does he think he, it's a Bigfoot, he knows it's a Bigfoot, but that's all he's telling you. He doesn't even want to talk to you about it, even though you've told him you've seen these things. Yeah, no, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want brought into it at all. And I think that's just because he's afraid to be teased or picked on, you know, by the family. Yeah, I guess that's understandable. I mean, uh, you can never know how somebody's going to react to something like this until they actually go through it. Uh, I, you know, right. a lot of people know I, I've never seen a Sasquatch, and um, but I can only theorize as to how I would react to it. But until I'm actually in that kind of moment, I would have no idea, really. What was going through your mind when you saw uh, either one of these things, but uh, particularly the female, because you described uh, that you saw uh, her breasts. What was going through your mind at that moment? You know what? It was total... I want to say it was just total shock. And... I don't even know. It was at first I went blank and I'll see I had my rifle with me. So I turned it up on 12 power. So I was about 250, 300 yards away from her. I've seen everything. I mean, but the feeling that I had was so different from the male that it was, a, it was a more peaceful, calm feeling, but it was just an astonishment because, okay, the male was one thing, but now I've just seen the female of this species that supposedly does not exist anywhere, but I've got proof right in front of my eyes. I'm I'm looking at this creature that keeps the species going, you know, and I'm like, are those breasts? Oh my, uh, 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 you know, I was just total dumbfoundedness, you know, because she is the reason why they keep going, you know, without her, None of this makes any sense because why would, you know, you don't have a bunch of males running around. Here she is. She re reproduces. She keeps the species alive. And I'm looking at her. And a typical guy, you know, I, I can't even tell you what her face looks like. I was looking at her breast <laughs> <laughs> because I was so amazed and, and impressed with, it was like a validation, you know, seeing the male was one thing, but seeing the female, I was like, wow, everything I've heard and everything everybody's arguing about and all this controversy has just been settled in my mind once and for all. Here she is. Yeah, I guess that would be an enlightening, enlightening moment. But it's also, it's also a dumbfounding moment because now where do we go from here? Because everything I thought and all my beliefs and everything have been turned upside down. And I've got this drive to find out more, you know, it's almost like a brain overload because I want to learn more. I want to see her again. I want to get cast to her feet. I, I, I want pictures of her, you know, I want to give her a big hug and kiss and be like, wow, <laughs> you know, here you are, you know, and how intelligent are you really? Because you've been here for 45 years and I've never knew anything about you. I never even knew you were there. It's like a respectful feeling, you know? Absolutely. The fact that you 
farm these lands and you've never seen them until now. Is this, I'm assuming this is a family farm that you've been there your whole life. Yeah, this farm has been in our family for over a hundred years. Wow. So let me ask you a question uh, about the mail that you saw. You said it was swaying. Now, two questions here. One, you say it's a male. Is that because of lack of breast? No, I, I, I basically just theorized that on his size and, and the sound of his voice because it was so deep. You know, it was, and he was so massive that I just, you know, I just assumed that he was a male. Gotcha. And you said it was swaying there. When you saw it swaying, what you do after that? Did you just hightail it out there? Did you get in a truck and leave, or did you see it leave? Yeah. Well, when I seen him, when I seen him swaying, I had already fled the woods. But that's when he was like beside me. Like for every step I took, I could hear and feel every step he took, and he stayed with me the whole time. But now that I'm telling you this story, maybe there was more than one. What makes you think that? Um, I just because if he was. He was probably another, oh, I would say he was probably 75, 80 yards away. And if something stayed with me side by side, then how did it get back to that 75 yards? You know what I'm saying? So maybe there's more than one. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I guess we'll never really know for sure. No. And that's why I keep trying to keep up and, and get out there as much as possible and I just, I, I have so many, there's, like I said, I have so many questions. Sure. Now, you said that you weren't into this whole Bigfoot thing before this. So literally since August last year, your whole world's been turned upside down. And you, you now went from not even caring about the topic to actually not only caring, but knowing that they exist. Where do you go from here? I mean, what are you doing with this new information? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess just what I'm doing, and that's just trying to find out as much as humanly possible about what I can about them, you know, and learn about them and maybe join the fight to prove that they're there, you know, without harming them, help protect them. I'm still in this state where I mean, I know 100% that they are there. But at the same time, I'm still so hesitant because, you know, uh, how do you just go out in public and, and state that this is what I saw and this is what they are and who cares what you think or say, you know, because let's face it, public opinion can be cruel. Absolutely. So I, I guess you're just uh, at a standstill right now trying to uh... – figure out your own next steps here. I know you've been on Facebook now. Your Facebook account that you have, you started that particularly because you were looking into this whole Bigfoot thing, right? Yeah, just for you guys. Um, I hooked up with Dave Groves, and he put me in touch with you. And actually, you guys are the only two that I've been talking to. Um, as you know, I was talking to you. I took a um, I took a trip out to Dubois, Pennsylvania, Emporium, and I had a slight accident out there that's that's laid me up now for quite some time, which is making me crazy because I can't get in the woods. But that was an encounter with something 
And I can't tell you it was a Bigfoot, and I'm not going to jump on a bandwagon. Well, yes, it was. Most definitely, I could tell by the way the air smelled. But I can tell you that the animal that I was on was very nervous. Um, Could have been a mountain lion, could have been a bobcat. Reared up. And now I'm going to be down for who knows how long because of a back injury. But that's what I was out there to do because I do a lot of fishing out there. And now that I've had my encounter on the farm, I'm starting to think about encounters that I've had at other places where the hair stood up on the back of my neck or a rock has hit the water or go flying flying over to camp. You know, uh, it's really enlightened me to a lot of things that I've just dismissed as, oh, well, it's a black bear. Oh, well, it's a squirrel. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. It makes you uh, rewind everything that you've experienced and try to think, is anything out of the normal? And if it is, is it explainable or not? Right. Like when you're fishing with your buddies at the lake and you're like, he was jacking around throwing them rocks in the water. Stop it. You're going to scare all them fish. And all your buddies are like, we ain't throwing no rocks. What are you talking about? And that's happened a few times, you know, so. <laughs> that, you know, Tom, that you're not the only person either. That's a very common story that I hear, that a lot of people hear, uh, that they're fishing and something or someone in their mind, it's somebody's throwing rocks at them and it's ticking them off and they start yelling into the woods. Whoever's back there, knock right. it off, you know. On a previous show, I talked to a lady who was fishing, um, I believe it was the Allegheny River, and they had rocks flying in to the point that they had to run out of there because the rocks were flying in so heavily. Wow. So, I mean, it's definitely a common thing. Now, I, I don't know, you know, what the reasoning is for that. You know, you can only theorize as to why that's happening. Right. You know, maybe it's their dinner time and they want to eat food and you're preventing them from right. doing that. Uh, maybe maybe they're, they don't want you there, so they just want to chase you out. I don't know. Uh, but throwing rocks is something that always gets my attention. I mean, I absolutely get fascinated with this whole rock throwing thing because humans throw rocks. Yeah. Bears don't throw rocks. Cougars no. don't throw rocks. Bobcats don't throw rocks. No. What else can throw a rock? And squirrels only drop nuts. <laughs> they don't throw nuts. They drop Right. So, I mean, when it comes to throwing rocks, it really narrows down your possibilities as to what is doing that. Sure. Sure. And the places that we fish are so remote, like for native brook trout, you know, those are um, natural nasties up there. Some of those lines we take are six hours on horseback to get back there. So I know the local yokels aren't back there throwing rocks in the water. So that makes it even more like, wow, you know. But I've never, up to this point, I've never, ever thought about Bigfoot. So you said that you have, uh, you found a nest on, one, I guess, one of your properties, uh, and you never really thought it was Bigfoot. And from what I understand, you're not really attributing it to Bigfoot right now, but you're just finding it curious because of uh, its characteristics. Is that correct? Yes, yes. It's, um, it's on an old strip mine, with the, and, and it's a real old strip mine, so it's all overgrown. And it's in the kind of pine tree that has a really long needle. And the limbs have grown down onto the ground, and they've folded over. And it's like there's some limbs piled up inside, so it's made like a cavern in the inside. And I thought to myself, boy, that would be a really good place to post up in deer season when it was super cold, because that thing will block the wind. Well, since my, you know, I'm, sometimes I would walk up on it, and it was like the imminent danger. Get out of there, flee, something's wrong. You don't want to be around that. 
Other times I've walked up on it and looked inside and looked around and there's no problem. Now, since my encounter, I, I, I want to, let's say I want to believe that that's a nest. Um, can I tell you that it is? Most definitely not, because I don't know. You know, sometimes I can get there and it's fine, and I plan on investigating it. But like I said, I'm busting myself up pretty good, so I'm not able to get off the field at all now. But as soon as I am, that's the first thing I plan on investigating is the inside of that the Yeah, now that's uh, that's definitely interesting there. And I know you said that uh, you've only been in communication with us about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you're you're not laid up anymore, I would definitely be interested in getting out to that area with you. We have recently set up investigation teams throughout the state, and uh, I might be able to have a couple people meet up with you there, down there if I can't. But right. that's an area that I definitely want to get out to, whether it's me or one of the investigation teams, uh, so you can show the area around. Yeah, I would love to have you guys out there. Now, let me ask you a question. This is a little off topic, but you did bring it up. Uh, you said, I forget in reference to what it was, but you mentioned about mountain lion. Were you in Pennsylvania when you were thinking it's not a mountain lion? Because uh, one of the things that has been brought to my attention recently is that a lot of people are claiming that they've seen mountain lion in Pennsylvania, even though the state game commission says that there are no mountain lion. Right. I was just wondering, have you ever seen a mountain lion in Pennsylvania? Oh, I have. I've seen mountain lions and bobcats in Pennsylvania. And that's pretty much why I said that. Now I've seen more up in like the Dubois area, but where we're at down here, we had a mountain lion tear a fawn apart right in our driveway. So, and I knew it was a mountain lion because I measured the tracks and took pictures of the tracks. And again, Quentin said, no, that's not a mountain lion. I know it was a mountain lion. You know, I've been around animals enough for my life to tell what they were, you know. And I've heard mountain lions in the woods up in Emporium before. So, you know, when I hear, if I hear something at night that doesn't make sense, I can tell you if it's a bobcat or if it's a coyote or if it's two coons fighting or two foxes fighting. I know my sound's pretty good, you know. And they have a distinct growl to them at night when you hear them during mating season. So, yeah, I've seen them, I've seen them in Pennsylvania. I find that interesting. It's, it's something that I think about a lot because uh, if, if, they're, if they're covering up mountain lion being in the state, I don't understand why they would do that. Uh, but that in itself makes you wonder not wonder, but kind of almost validate in your mind that if they're willing to not acknowledge a simple species like mountain lion in Pennsylvania, then surely uh, they'd have plenty of reason not to acknowledge the idea that there's Sasquatch in our state or any state. Oh, most definitely. I've said all along, I can't believe that a forest ranger or a wildlife enforcement officer has not seen a Sasquatch for as much time as they spend in the wilderness. It's, to me, it's impossible. They have had to see something sometime. You know, the odds are better with them than they are with any other private citizen, maybe other than a police officer on night duty. You would think they would have to see something. Yeah, I, I would think so too. I mean, uh, 
I just it just something doesn't seem right about that, and you know the whole, well, I mean the whole topic isn't right. I mean these things aren't supposed to exist, you know. To common right. knowledge, these things, you know, they don't exist, right. and yet here we are talking about it. And you're one of many people. I was going to say and, sorry, I hate the Buster Bubble, but they do exist. <laughs> but I can tell you one hundred percent that they do. And here we are. We're talking about something that uh, we believe. Well, for me, it would be belief because I've never seen one. But you know that they exist. And the general public says, no, they don't exist. And you're crazy for saying that. Sure. Uh, sure. So, I mean, we're definitely fighting an uphill battle here. But the more people like you who come forward and say, yes, I've seen a Sasquatch, or yes, I've seen a UFO, I've seen this, that, or the other, uh, the more I think people will feel more comfortable coming forward and saying, yeah, you know what, I've seen that too. With Sasquatch in general, we have to try to create an environment that people feel comfortable coming forward and talking. Most definitely. Uh, that's that's kind of one of my missions with you know everything that I do in uh, this this realm. I try to create a community and an environment for people to come forward and feel comfortable knowing that it's okay to talk about these things. Yes. Uh, and, and you know what? I think you do a very good job because I was so afraid to say anything. And then I talked, like I told you, I talked to Dave Groves and then I talked to you. And you guys have been so excellent it making me feel like it's okay to tell my story. There isn't going to be any ridicule or, you know, you, I'm so afraid to tell somebody that's going to be like, you're freaking crazy. They're going to send out the guys with the butterfly nets and straight jackets. And, you know, um, because I didn't, I'm not telling my story for any kind of recognition. Um, I can care less who knows my name or knows my face. I needed to tell my story because I had to tell somebody who knew what I was talking about for some validation in my own mind, somebody who knew who was a little more advanced than what they're doing that knew if I told my story, they would know the characteristics of how it acted while I was telling you. So it, it kind of put me at ease a little bit, you know, and you did a very good job of that. Oh, well, I appreciate that, man. I just, I, I enjoy hearing the stories and I enjoy, uh, just creating the platform for other people to, you know, come forward and talk about these things. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, uh, you said the female was was running, right? Yeah, yeah. She was running. What it was was it was uh, kind of a thicker oak stand off to the left where she was coming from down the hill, and she crossed the gap line where I was sitting. And then they, the the bank kind of sloped back up and then down into some old Spanish olives, excuse me, and then into a lake bed. So when I when I seen her, she was just entering the gas line, but she kept looking back, looking back, looking back. And when I turned my step up on 12, I did see her acknowledge that I was there on the gas line. She knew I was there, definitely. But when I pulled my step up to look, I never even bothered looking at her face. You know, I just checked her body because that's the first thing you would do with a deer. Like, you know, yeah, you check the body, get the get the the lay of the body, and I never made it up past her chest. You know, um, what can I say? Her breast stopped me. You know, I mean, that was the most distinguishing characteristic of her that I could see. And like I told you, they were they were moving independently. Um, it wasn't like 
both went to the left, both went to the right, you know, uh, one went one way, one went the other way. <clears throat> and she was definitely afraid fleeing that area off to the left of me, heading into the right. It makes me wonder just what was she fleeing? Because if you got the feeling that she knew you were there, yet she was willing to expose herself to you by running away from something else, it makes me wonder what she was running from. If, if somebody, uh, a hunter, had seen her, uh, did you hear any guns before that go off? Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of shooting that day. A lot of shooting. Uh, okay, she's probably really spooked then. Sure, sure. And when she was heading, then nobody would ever find her down in there. It's like nine to ten foot high Spanish island. And if you've ever encountered that stuff, it kind of folds over like a tunnel. And you would have to be a jackrabbit to get through there, or a hound dog, you know. And that's where she was heading. And coincidentally, that's where that big whoop came from the next the next morning I was out hunting, is down in that bottom. And I attribute, you know, I was a little nervous at first going back there. But when I heard that whoop, it almost put me at ease, like, we know you're there. You know, like, it's cool. <laughs> you know, at least in my mind, that's what I attributed it to. Yeah, I, I, I can see how that, that would uh, happen. I think I've gotten a whoop on audio once, uh, but in the moment, I've never heard it. Like, we were recording, and we didn't hear the whoop there. But when I was reviewing the audio, I heard it, and it was oh. really faint. And so it's hard for me to say I ever heard a whoop. Uh, right. I hear something on my recording that sounded like a whoop, right. but uh, in person, out there, I've never acknowledged one live. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you that you uh, got that feeling that uh, they were just acknowledging that you're there and letting you know that they're there. I wonder if that's an area that they're kind of just hanging out in right now. If it's because it's so thick and hard to get to right. that they're just hanging there because of you know being hunting season. Right, and the, and there's plenty of food there. We got rabbits, we got pheasants, we got deer. They have a water supply. They have a place to hide. We never go there unless it's deer season. When I was a kid, I used to play back in there, but it's I would say two weeks out of the year it's visited. The rest of the time, we don't even bother with it. So they're they're unmolested in that area pretty much twelve months out of the year minus two weeks, you know. I can't wait to get you guys out here and have you guys investigate because there's so much I want to show you. You might want to rent a hotel for a month or so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'll have to talk to work about that and see if I can uh, take a month hiatus. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking the answer is going to be no, especially when I tell them I'm hunting Bigfoot. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, I really appreciate you talking to me. And uh, I think the audience is going to really enjoy this episode. Is there is there anything you want to uh, say before we head out? Yeah, you know what? Um just for everybody who sees this and isn't like a hunter or interested, when you see this thing, don't double guess yourself. You know, um, your eyes aren't playing tricks on you. They are real. They are out there, but they're not out there to hurt you. They're out there to survive just like the rest of us. There's no need to shoot them. There's no need to bother them. Live and let live. That's what I say. And enjoy the fact that you can look for them and learn from them. Right on, man. Well, thanks for coming on. We definitely look forward to getting out there and seeing the area that you're in. All right, man? Yep. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. You got it, man. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. 
Well, everybody, I really hope you enjoyed the show tonight. I really enjoyed making it, and I really enjoyed talking to Tom. Before we get out of here, I just want to let you know when I was recording that interview, my studio was not set up the way it is now, and that's why the audio sounded funny. I promise next week's episode will be 100% better, and I really hope you come back to listen to it. If you did like today's show, though, please go on iTunes and Stitcher, hit subscribe, and leave me a happy review. It will help the show rise in the charts, so other people can enjoy the show just like you. I'll see you next week. Yeah, this one right here goes out to all the babies, mamas, 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 <laughs> baby mamas, mamas. Yeah, go like this. Oh, baby, 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 baby,